Where's Fielder? He's gone to the dogs. Welcome to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. This is your host, Steve Fielder, coming at you one more time. Due to the miracle of Al Gore's internet, we're able to stream these podcasts live for you to pick up and enjoy, and you're going to enjoy this one today. I personally guarantee you will enjoy this podcast. I want to take just a moment before we go further to thank my friends at DU Hunting Supply, W Hunting Supply out in Washington State. They provide the platform They provide the producer for this show, and I want to just give a big shout-out to Buddy Woodbury, to my friend Jason Doobie, to the producer Shannon. And if you need anything in the line of hunting supplies for your dogs or for yourself, some sharp-looking apparel, hats, shirts, so forth, and especially the electronics that we depend on so much today, the garments, the dog crews, and all the rest, if uh, you need any of those kind of things, see the folks at DU Supply. They have great customer service. Now, buddy, I've paid the bills for another week, so that's all we're going to say about you. Today, I, as by way of introduction, I uh, want to tell you a little bit, uh, uh, set this up for you just a little bit. Uh, you know, I was thinking here before we started recording, most guys... Uh, the last person on earth they'd want to uh, have a conversation with and talk to uh, would be their former boss. Uh, you know, it's uh, uh, when people uh, get into a boss and employee relationship, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. But I can tell you for a fact that uh, the fellow that I'm going to bring to Mike here in just a minute uh, was my boss for about, uh, I think, about seven years altogether. And uh, you're going to really enjoy my visit today with uh, with the man, the uh, former CEO of Professional Kennel Club, Larry Meeks. How you doing, Larry? Doing good for an old fat guy. Uh, well, I tell you what, man, I top out that scale uh, <laughs> the the highest that I ever have, and I, in fact, I don't even like to go near the thing. Uh, when I get on the scale anymore, it says one at a time. <laughs> I heard a good joke about that. So the guy said his wife told him she wanted something that would go from zero to two hundred in three seconds. You know, and she looked on Christmas morning, looked out the window at the driveway, and there was a bathroom scale. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. Larry, it's great to catch up with you. It's hard for me to believe that it's been as many years as it has. It was 2004 that I made, um, some could say, a questionable decision to to leave PKC and and, uh, chase the last uh, six or seven years of my career uh, with AKC. And you told me at that time, or you asked me, you said... uh, uh, are you sure you're going to like that corporate life? And uh, uh, some days I did, but a lot of days I didn't. That's for sure. I understand all that. I'm yeah, sure. yeah. Well, Larry, but okay. it was a good move for you, I think, Steve. I really do. I think it worked out well. Well, in terms, in some ways, it was for sure. But I will go on record right now before my listeners hear that 
my years at PKC were the most fun and enjoyable years of my entire 33-year career. There's no That's question about that. No question. That's great. That's great to hear. Well, listen, Larry, uh, most people know you as the, the guy that was at the helm of PKC, and this is a Coon Hunters podcast for sure. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your background and all. Now, I know your day job through those years we were at uh, PKC and, and continuing today is at the uh, helm of, of your trucking company. Tell us a little bit about Gibco and and uh, what you do for a living, Larry. Well, I have been involved in the trucking business for 54 years. Uh, I started driving truck, hauling logs uh, for my uncle and my dad. I've just always been around trucks. Then after doing some other things, I went back into trucking. Uh, Seemed to enjoy it the most. Then the two guys that I were was working for at the time, they were killed in a plane crash that I was supposed to be on and had to cancel. Oddly enough, because I had a truck broke down, I was on my way to the airport and they got me on the radio. We didn't have cell phones back in those days. This was in 1975, so we didn't have cell phones, but. They got me on the radio and said I had a truck broke down in Winslow, Indiana. So I called the airport and told Steve that ran the airport, just tell Ron and John to go ahead. And we were going to a pre-job conference in Mount Vernon, Indiana, and flying down to it. And I was going to run that job. Uh, and it was just a pre-job conference. But anyhow, I canceled and they were killed coming back to the airport after the meeting. Mm. Um, and I stayed on with the fellow who bought it. Then later I got in, in 1982, I went to black beauty trucking, which was just recently formed. Then in 84, we bought the Gibson companies out of Terre Haute and it just expanded from there, but I've done everything with trucks, worked on them. I've probably changed a thousand tires in my life and broke down twice as many. Uh, but just just don't know anything else but trucks. I've just always been around them, and now my son Jeremy is my partner, and we just recently closed on a, another trucking company that we purchased in February of this year. Well, that's great. Well, Jeremy was my pilot. Yeah, <laughs> I know when I went to work for BKC, uh, Jeremy would fly up here to Michigan and pick me. I say up here, I'm not in Michigan now, but pick me up and and uh, take oh, yeah. me around to, to some of the events and all. And the first time that I ever rode in a helicopter was with you. Right. <laughs> and right. we were out looking at trucks somewhere, I think. Yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> I can remember we'd be going somewhere to a hunt, going down the road. And you'd say, well, I'm going to stop in here and you'd be crawling back under a trailer. We're checking it out. <laughs> well, yeah. it just gets in your blood, but I don't drive much anymore. Once in a while, I will just, just, just to be where I can drive if I need to. But they don't let me drive much anymore. I'll be seventy-four in November, so well, like they've kind, of, they've kind of taken the wheel out of my hand. <laughs> sign checks anymore. 
Yeah, well, that, that's great. Uh, it's a great company, and uh, uh, I wanted to get back into the. Uh, well, let's tell. Just mention this. I know at one time you showed me a list or something that you guys were in the top ranking uh, commodity haulers in in the U.S. Is that still uh, something you're uh, involved in? We still do a lot of bulk commodity hauling, not near what we used to. Um, with some of the recent administrations and uh, <laughs> their dislike for what we haul at times, uh, we've had to diversify. So mm -hmm. we have diversified into a lot of air. We haul everything now from coal to bread uh, for Lewis Bakery. So. Mm -hmm. We're into a little bit of everything. I got you. Uh, we run about, oh, 150 trucks yet, I guess. At one time, that number was close to 400 trucks that we ran. Yeah, yeah. But now it's down to about 150, and trying to hire drivers these days is a little tougher, and the government's east of that, too. Well, I'm sure that's the case. Well, let's talk about your background, Larry. I think it's very interesting. And, and a lot of the times that we were driving up and down the road together or out to dinner together at one of the events, uh, we there were just a lot of stories about uh, you as you uh, growing up. I will interject right here. Some of those adventures we got into... <laughs> Or something else, and I and I th hope to touch on a, a little bit of when we get that when we start talking about uh, PKC and all. But uh, wh uh, where were you born, Larry? I was born in Paris, Illinois, November of 1948. Okay, so you're just about two years and a month or so younger than I am. So okay, and so that's just am I right? Is that north or south of Terre Haute? Northwest, just about 21 miles. Okay. Okay. Well, tell me what it was like growing up. You, you know, you and I went by the house where you, uh, one of the, I, I don't know if that was a place that you grew up, but it was a place that you had, had uh, lived at one time there in Terre Haute. What was it like as a kid growing up in Terre Haute? Well, we were very poor. You saw the old shotgun house we lived in. Um, we moved there when I was nine years old from Paris to Terre Haute. And shortly thereafter, my little brother, he was a year younger than me. We came home from school one day and my mom was gone. My dad drove a truck, but he was gone for two weeks at a time. Um, and my mom was gone. I didn't know where she was. I went down to a local grocery store and a little mom and pop store and asked if they'd seen her and they hadn't seen her, but we had coal stoves, a uh, coal stove in the front room and a coal stove in the kitchen. And I knew how to build and bank a fire, um, but I didn't know how to cook. Um, so I knew I had to take care of my little brother. Um, mm. He, uh, I put a can of pork and beans on a gas stove and heated it up, and I didn't know you had to open the can. The can blew up, and <laughs> the beans burnt my back. And, oh, man. Hmm. Uh, I still got some scars from that, but uh, I kept me and him for two or three days till my dad got home. 
And then it was just me and my dad and my little brother for about, I'll say a month. I don't remember how long, but uh, then we ended up in the courthouse one day and me and my little brother sitting on the back row. And that was the next time I saw my mom and the last time till I got out of high school and they were up there arguing around a little bit. Finally, the judge said, well, what about these two boys? My mom said, I'll take Terry the young one. He can live with me. And nobody said anything. And I thought, well, crap, I'm going to orphans. Hmm. The old man said, he came with me. He can go home with me. And that's the way it was. So from the time I was nine till I left home when I was 15, there wasn't anybody home through the week but me. Uh, I got a paper route and I started working and been working ever since. Still work every day. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know any different than work, but it it all worked out. We all got close at the end and oh, I was great. blessed to where when they got sick, I could help them. And when they died, I could help with that and do that. But I, I was blessed later and just, I grew up very bitter, but got over it. Uh, it. It took some time, but I got over Well, I think that's a lesson for all of us right there. I think time has a way of healing things sometimes. But uh, but that you told me that story before, Larry, and it always moved me very much. I mean, thinking about what does a kid at that age think, you know? When, well, you know, a, lot of, a lot of people that go through those things, and people had it much worse than me. Uh, I mean, there's folks that have some real horror stories. I was fine. Uh, I made it, and you don't have to go on Oprah and blame your parents. And you got to live with it. it. They did the best they knew how, and it all went away. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, a little bit. I know you, some of your activities. You you got into athletics quite a bit, and I remember you told me that you boxed in, in Golden Gloves and all. What What about well, your sports I, growing up? I started going to the boys club in Terre Haute a lot. It was a place to go. Wasn't anybody home but me, so I really didn't have a curfew. And I, back then, the boys club cost $5 a year for membership, but I didn't have $5. So the director of the boys club in Terre Haute, Ted Moore, paid my membership if I would sweep the gym and empty the trash and all that. But I got in a, oh, more than a few fights, but I got in a fight <laughs> behind the boys club out in the alley. And he was getting tired of that. Matter of fact, he pulled me off. A guy grabbed my hair and pulled me off and said, if you're going to fight around here, we're going to put gloves on you. And uh, <laughs> I got into bitty boxing, and that graduated into golden gloves. I boxed golden gloves until I was probably 19 or so. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoyed it back then. Uh, but I played ball all through high school. I played baseball, basketball, ran track. I even ran cross country one year to get a letter. That, that wasn't for me. That distance isn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> but did a little everything. Just played sports. You wouldn't like Still that coon it. hunting today where these guys got these dogs. They don't even think about slowing down to they're at least a, a mile in there. You know, <laughs> That would be a whole new world to me. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to coon hunt anymore. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't know. Well, we're, we're in the same boat there. Well, you talked to me already about how you got involved in the trucking industry and, and, uh, and, and all. And, uh, 
that's been quite a success story. It always, I told you one time, I said, Larry, I always enjoy being around successful people. And you, you stroked my ego a little bit. You said, well, you're successful. I said, no, no, you're on, on a whole different level of that, uh, on that scale. But, uh, well, none of that would be possible. None of, none of my success would have been impossible without having good people around you. Uh, there's no way. PKC was no different than the trucking company. We've got employees that have been with us over 30 years, uh, mm. some longer. Yeah. Is Chuck uh, still there? Chuck retired. Oh, did he? Uh, okay. And was a great employee. Uh, Our listeners should know we're great. talking about, excuse me, Larry. Our listeners should know we're talking about Chuck Cliver, a well-known coon hunter from there in southern Indiana, and also a, a, a mechanic. Right, sure was. Yeah, yeah. He, he was. He was a good mechanic and very, very likable guy. He was a oh, good yeah. friend. Sure, uh, but we've had several good employees like that, and PKC was no different. You were one of them. I mean, we had some good. Oh, the, we did. You couldn't do it. Yeah, uh, you just couldn't do it. Yeah, um, I it, think that was the issue originally, but it, it that that worked out well. We had some great employees. Well, we're going to talk about PKC quite a bit, I hope. And, okay. uh, but let, let me lay a little foundation here on your uh, Larry Meeks, the coon hunter. Uh, what's your earliest memory of going coon hunting? Well, my dad had hounds that early on, my job was just to feed them. Real early on, four or five years old, I was feeding dogs and taking care of dogs while he was gone, obviously. And my uncle had hounds. He, they both had black and tans. I started with black and tan. Um, I didn't hunt walker dogs for many years. I still kind of partial to the black dogs, but started with black and tans. And my uncle and I went to an Illinois Governor's Cup. Do you remember those Governor Cup? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And whenever we got there, I'd been hunting this old dog probably old smoke probably more than he had been and whenever he entered he said the boy's going to handle him and i was a nervous wreck uh, i had never done that uh, he said you know the rules just call him for what he does we end up placing in that governor hunt so i was <laughs> that was one of my fondest memories early on i was so proud of that but when you went back to school and told kids you won the governor's cup they didn't have a clue what you were talking about <laughs> No idea. Well, that was my my thing too. You know, I thought Ellen and I went to. Uh, uh, we didn't go to school together. We went to church together when we were just teenagers. But I said, "Did you know? Did I ever talk to you about my hunting uh, back then?" And she said, "No, I had no idea you had dogs or, or did this this coon hunting thing." And I don't know. I I guess Larry, whether I don't know whether it was. I thought there was a stigma to it. Maybe I didn't want my friends to know or that I just, you know, didn't, didn't think that they'd understand. So, but, well, and, you know, and when you told somebody you were a coon hunter back then, they were, it was like you were a second class citizen or something. Well, yeah. Why are you doing that? Shoot. Uh, coon hides back then were buck 75, $2. That was serious money to me. Oh yeah. 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 For uh, sure. But I trapped, uh, I, and shoot, probably like you, Steve, we grew up on rabbit, squirrel, and quail. Uh, <laughs> uh, without 
without hunting, I think we'd have starved to death. <laughs> well, we'd... I I was kind of now my dad had that lifestyle for sure growing up in in Tennessee on the farm. Uh, I was a city boy who grew up in the edge of a little old town there in West Virginia, and I could walk across the highway and be in the woods. So, you know, I kind of had the best of both worlds there, but I didn't get that. Uh, but I sure got the stories from my dad, you know, he's growing up during the Depression there in Tennessee and hunting with cur dogs and all. Well, um, do you remember, you say you hunted with your dad. Was there other other hunters there that that you remember from the when we, when, I, when when I entered my sophomore year of high school, we moved to Clay County, uh, east of Brazil, Indiana, and a good friend of mine in my class, Jimmy Thompson, his brother Alfred Thompson, that you probably mm. remember, AJ. Yeah. yeah. Matter of fact, he just died last year. Oh. Uh, mm. And he was very instrumental and uh, he had a black dog he had a black dog that i thought a lot of and i hunted with them a lot uh, but jimmy and i hunted every night we every night we could we hunted uh we had a blast doing it and that's where i got to guide and hunts uh alfred made us guide that's what <laughs> he, he was either guide or get knots put on your head that's what we we guided hunts, but I those 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 guys were good dear friends and and still are the ones that are living. Well, uh, that's great. I heard another podcast the other day uh, with um, uh, Jeff Wood from up there around Paris. Yes, you Chris know, Illinois. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, Chris. Chris Benet- yeah. he's sheriff up there. Yeah, he sure is, and and a great guy. And he was talking about his black dogs and all. I enjoyed hunting up that way. You know, we had uh, plot. Well, when I was with UKC, uh, well, even probably when I was with PKC, we I would go to plot days, and they had it a few times at Marshall, Illinois. Sure, uh, and uh, then. Uh, uh, you know, and of course Brazil went to hunts at Brazil, and and uh, then of course later on with PKC down at Sullivan. That's not all that far. Uh, so yeah, that's some good hunting along that Wabash River in there, isn't it? Oh yeah, and and at one time I bought three hundred acres off of J.C. Ellis um, in Sullivan County that I just bought to hunt on and. I hunted with you there a time or two. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you sure did. Yeah, but we took some. Matter of fact, we took some super stakes cast for that property. There was a, a lot of coon on that property right yep. on the river. The river yep. was my west property line, mm-hmm. and it was a it was a good plot to hunt. It really was. Well, um, wh- what about you mentioned the black and tans? Did uh, and the, was it was a black dog that you won that? Uh, that governor's cup or, or placed in that governor's cup with it was an old black and tan called smoke uh, and that was oh shoot i don't remember how old i was maybe 11 or 12 i don't remember yeah, how I that's pretty young yeah. yeah but i was like i said i was a nervous wreck <laughs> well back in those <laughs> days yeah, back in those days, we didn't have youth hunts and stuff. They threw us out there with the lions. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I figure these guys know their dog better than I do, but some of them didn't have a clue what that dog was doing. 
Yeah. <laughs> you that, run into those folks, too. They're still out there. <laughs> I know. Some of them afraid of the dark in the wrong sport. That's right. That's for sure. Well, okay. I know that you, when I met you, and uh, the little story, a little tiny backstory, here I am down at the Kentucky Houndsman Association meeting. Uh, they, I'm with the UKC. They've asked the editors of the various magazines to come down and speak. And I was with Coonhound Bloodlines at that time. And Terry Walker uh, with American Cooner asked me, could he speak to me? Or could I, would I like to meet him down at the lounge? He had something to talk to me about. And that's when he mentioned the prospect. Uh, he had talked to you about me going to PKC. So that's how you and I got together. Uh, uh, I remember. Yeah, yeah. I remember you and I, Rita and I drove up to meet you in Kalamazoo. That's right. That's right. We spent about three hours, I think, in that restaurant. It was a long <laughs> lunch. I thought they were going to bring there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a tough decision for me simply because I did, I had been with UKC so long, but I didn't really know anything about hunting for money. You know, I, did, I really didn't know how to build a chart of awards or anything else. And you say, well, you want to start doing bench shows. Uh, and all, and uh, so it was a pretty quick learning curve, but uh, we jumped right in. My first hunt with you was the national championship at Flora. That's right. And that's when I met, I came there and stayed at your house, and I met Roger Dale, and uh, and oh, yeah. yeah, Roger had just had won it, I think, the year before. Or he'd just won something with a black and tan named Sally. That had gotten him on the cover of ProHound, I think. But man, yeah. yeah, there's so many fond memories there. But this is not about me. This is about you. <laughs> you well, I, re I remember me and Roy coming up hunting with you a time or two. I remember oh. Roy lost three three pair of gloves that night. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we did. I, and I really appreciate the fact that you guys coming up and hunting with me. And I did have some pretty good hunting up there in Michigan, didn't I? I've still got the coon that you had tanned for me hanging in my office. Uh, one of the that's biggest awesome. coons I ever killed. You and I hunting together. Roy wasn't that, with us. That's time. right. That was the second time I think that you came up, or maybe the first time. I, that was the time, I believe, when we got the, the bad news about Mike Harper. That's uh, exactly right. Yeah, you were exactly at my house right. at that time. You're, yeah. That, that broke my heart. Uh, oh. what, what a friend he was to me. Awesome guy and listeners uh, that don't know who Mike was, he worked for Joy. He was a beagle guy there in West Tennessee. I tell you, one of the best pork chops I ever ate in my life. We ate there at Mike's house one night. He did no doubt. <laughs> he he was a super super guy. He and I kind of went to the same barber. You know, he had that slick <laughs> haircut there. But yeah, growing through your hair. Right. But no, you and Roy coming up, and we did. Uh, I had a pretty good little plot female at that time. I called her yeah, uh, Annie, but she got so independent, I couldn't stand her. She uh, she didn't want anything to do with another dog and even got to the point that she'd leave a tree if a dog covered her, so I couldn't live with that. But Yeah, right. those were good times for sure, and you were hunting a good walker dog. Uh, on that uh, that Joe dog, I believe you called him, wasn't it? Yeah, old Joe. I got him off of Chuck Cliver. Okay. Uh, 
And the first time, I think I might have brought Hustler up. I'm not sure. I mm-hmm. don't remember. Hustler or Harry. The old all can Harry dog. One or the other. But I've been blessed with some good hounds in my life. I really have. Well, I remember uh, Walker days at DeCoin, Illinois. And we were there, of course, the whole crew working that event. What a big, bustling event it was in those days. Oh, Maybe yeah. still is, but I, I don't know if they get the crowds like we did there. But they're at the fairgrounds and had some downtime, and you had your dogs with you. Now, I believe that was Hustler and Harry, but I, I took your two dogs out and found a place to cut them loose, and they got through there and got through the country and, and got treed and all. But tell us a little bit about that. You kind of had a a special thing for the Pac-Man bred dogs, didn't you? I did. Uh, a lot of people, well, and, and, and the bloodline to me was just a good, solid bloodline. Uh, they were good tree dogs. Um, one of the dogs I bought had been abused. Um, but once he realized he wasn't going to get beat every time he did something wrong, he was a much better hound. He, but I like a dog that handles, and they handled good. Uh, they were just good dogs. Uh, they were, for sure. I'm still partial to them. Mm-hmm. I got you. I figured you were. <laughs> One of the best dogs I ever had was out of old Finley River Chief. A dog named Sid. And I don't know. I don't follow the bloodlines like I used to, obviously. But the old Finley River bred dogs were pretty good dogs, too. They, well, uh, I Sid. There's still a following for those dogs, for sure. And uh, people like to go back and refer to Old Chief. And, and I've done some writing for uh, for American Cooner about the, the Walker dogs and and about Shetler Sonny Boy. I got to meet John Shetler. That was a real thrill for me oh, at, at Walker Days and, and all. But, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And that bloodline is still still there you know we had uh, john monroe on the podcast here oh a few months back and, and of course uh, he was known far and wide for the finley river dogs and uh after he bought uh old chief and and uh, uh anyway yep those those were the some good lines of dogs well what if you had to name one what would have been your favorite dog down through the years Old Sid that was out of Fiddler River Chief. He was a direct son out of Chief. Mm-hmm. And I bought him off of Harold Hollingsworth. Yeah. Uh, you remember Harold, I'm I sure. I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, his brother had the dog, and I bought him off of him. He was a one-year-old. And you, could, I broke the dog off of everything but running rabbits. I just got him to where he wouldn't open on rabbits. But if you didn't hear him for a while, he was out circling someplace. And, you get a light on him, and he was like one of them cartoons. You just kind of lock it up and try to back out of there, knowing I shouldn't be here. But then he <laughs> would go to a good, but he was my buddy. He was he was the best, for sure. Well, I think because of your work, you and I were a whole lot alike in the way that we kept our dogs. We didn't keep a lot of dogs. Uh, you know, I with the way I was working and all, I couldn't leave a bunch of dogs at home. For someone else to care for and all. I know when I uh, 
was there. Uh, you always had, a, uh, seemed like a couple of dogs, and that's about what I kept. But they were nice dogs, and like you say, they handled well and on. I know that you spent a lot of time with them, uh, and uh, I think that makes a big difference in a dog. Do you? I, I think when you've got too big a kennel, you can't focus on what a dog really needs, and the fewer dogs you got, you know, you can give a dog a break where you don't have to hunt them night in and night out and maybe have a couple, three around. But if you get much more than that, to me, unless you've got handlers working them for you or people mm-hmm. hunting for you, I think it's hard to give a dog the attention he needs and wants. Uh, a dog wants to be hunted. I mean, when oh, you yeah. drop that tailgate, they want to all go. Uh, it's just, mm-hmm. do you want to burn them out? Yeah. I never was big on burning out a dog or beating on dogs. I don't like that. I, I like dogs burning. I do most people. So I, <laughs> I do more people. <laughs> well, being in business for as many years as you have, that's totally understandable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, for the most part, though, these coon hunters have been pretty good people. And that's been yeah. my, you know, my, uh, my clientele so to speak over all the years that i worked uh, you know a lot of thursday mornings i didn't want to climb in that motor home or climb in the truck and or get on a plane and go to a hunt i just i'd rather stay home with my family and so forth but i always felt when i got to the hunt and got there with the crowd and, and all and and you know i can't say enough about that feeling of uh, camaraderie that we had uh at pkc and that's what i want to jump into uh, for our next uh topics here uh larry but man we we had a great group of people it seemed like everybody knew what their job was uh they just jumped in and did it uh the you know from taking entries or whatever it happened to be um you know it, we worked hard those 10 days at the tennis center I want to talk about that in just a minute, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But we talked about your early involvement, I guess, with PKC was on sitting on sitting panels and doing things like that at the clubs. Is that right? That's right. Jarvis asked me one year. Well, it was before I was on the executive committee, so I'm getting ahead of myself. But he asked me one year if I would if he could pick a couple guys to sit with me on panels at the world hunt for the 10 days. And at that time I wanted to hunt too. Uh, so I got one of my friends, Mike Smith, to hunt a dog for me. And I agreed to sit on the panels and met some great people doing that. And, and, and Steve, I, the biggest blessing that I had when I bought PKC and during that 12 or 13 year tenure, was all of the friends I made with PKC. Now, don't get me wrong. I made some enemies. Uh, I, I was never much on putting up with some of the stuff, but the greatest, so I still stay in touch with a lot of these guys. That's uh, great. We're friends on Facebook. And mm-hmm. I'm not on Facebook a lot, but I met some great folks at PKC. Uh, that I would not have met without it. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. That's exactly what I'm th- sitting here thinking, you know, uh, and we've, and we lose them, uh, you know, and it, it, it hurts. I noticed, you know, not long ago we lost Jim Smith, 
Oh, yeah. And Jim was a guy that I don't know why, but he and old Jack Cannon, they just kind of took a liking to me. And, you know, when I went into PKC, I was a UKC guy. And a lot of those guys kind of gave me that sideways look, you know. What, what <laughs> I, 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 I remember well. Yeah. You ain't one of us, boy. What are you doing? Here? But yeah, you, you were soon accepted, Steve. I mean that that went away. That diminished. Well, I, I sure hope so. And I did meet some fantastic people. Uh, and I think about him. I think he's uh, fishing a lot now, or what I see that his wife posts on Facebook. But Vern Newland. We used to go out to dinner sure. with him and Candy, you know. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, anytime we'd go up to the to the uh, Spring Classic up around Osiris up there and whatever. Those are just examples, and I'm going to get in trouble for not mentioning everybody, I'm sure. But you're exactly right, the, the great, great people. And you know what amazed me, too, was the – fact that most of these people were coon hunters they knew what a coon dog was it was an organization of coon sure sure Uh, and and a lot of people early on didn't like some of the changes we made but eventually and a lot of those people came back to me and and thanked me for making the changes but we had to make some changes that that were Pretty bitter pill for some people to swallow, but we just needed to do some things different, and and we did. And and believe me, I'm not being critical of the of Jarvis or anything they did in the past. Jarvis was doing that without a lot of help, and mm-hmm. we Rita and I were fortunate enough. Rita put some great programs in place with PKC that are still in use today. That Angie, my daughter-in-law, she's still the office manager for Roger and they still have some of those in place and Angie's improved on some of them even I'm sure yeah, uh, I know that that's but, Angie's yeah, one works. of those special people as was Rita Rita having been in your home you know Larry the little things mean a lot and when I would come down and you would be great you and Rita graciously allow me to stay there with you you know you had that nice little apartment downstairs and, you know, get Rita always went the extra mile, those little touches, not o- over the board, but, hey, you know, want some ice cream, Steve? You, you, need a, <laughs> you need a glass of water before you go down, you know, take down with you before bedtime. I mean, the little things are what matter the most in life to me. You well, know? And I, I always I, felt very I, welcome there. And not a lot of people can say they can go into their boss's home and feel at home, but I sure did. Well, and, and you've said that two or three times, but I was never your boss. We worked together. That's the way <laughs> I like to treat employees, but we worked yeah. together. I don't ever remember getting on you about anything. No, I, no, no. I'm we not big on that. We, we got along great. And it was, as I said, it was one of the, the best times of, of my career for sure. Absolutely. But back to the panels, the first time that we sat on that, it was myself and Woody McCorkle from Georgia and Jimmy Ferguson from Texas. Mm. There's uh, two old timers. Yeah, yeah. Well, three of them. Well, Woody started. I was the, young, I was the youngster yeah. of the bunch, but I wasn't very young. Yeah. But 
but we ran into some interesting situations. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll never forget one panel that, and I, I won't name names here. I, I'll just uh, keep it out of the way. But, but I believed this man. Now, I, I, I believed his story. Even though it all didn't just exactly fit, I believed his story. And uh, the other two said, are we sure? Are we sure? Yeah, well, I think so. But we did the best we could with it. And I think it ended up for everybody. But right after the hearing, the panel hearing, this individual gets up and goes over and gets in a poker game. And he doesn't <laughs> know I'm standing behind him. And he says, well, they bought that one. And I told him, we'll never do it again. <laughs> it was a very, very embarrassing hunter for sure. Oh. And he followed me around trying to follow. It's okay. I'm not mad at you. I'm just not going to believe you anymore. <laughs> but it, I did that for two or three years uh, for Jarvis. And then Jarvis asked me to sit on his executive committee, which at that time, was made up of J.C. Ellis, Dale Bolding, and Nick DiGiacomo. There's a guy that I thought the world of right there, Nick. Oh, I, Nick was my – I went to Oklahoma hunting with Nick several times. Yeah. And Nick has stayed in my home also. Uh, he was a but, great help to me when I came to PKC. He would call me and just talk and tell me, Steve, this is the way, you know, this works and that works. and all that he was like a mentor to me that and i didn't ask him for that he just you know opened free will of course i know you remember the time we went out to the little dixie jamboree and and uh, with nick and eloise and uh, and what a great time we all had well jeremy froze me to death I stayed with Jeremy. He t- you told me you could hang meat in his room. Well, he's right, man. That temperature had to be about minus 30. Jeremy room. still tells that story. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Oh, man. Jeremy. I remember, I, had to get, I remember we had to get you a room the next night. I do <laughs> oh, man. I told Jeremy, I need him at this hunt. I don't want him to have the moment. I've never seen a guy get a room that cold to sleep in, but man, he seemed to be just fine with it. He's yeah, a great I, guy. I told him in snow camp, North Carolina, one time, got to sleep in the truck. I woke up <laughs> three in the morning. I could see my breath. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, the thing. So many stories. Do you remember us, uh, our stakeout that we had that night out in my, my van? I do. I sure do. <laughs> I felt like I said, man, I signed on to be be a field rep here or whatever. I said, here I am out here on a stakeout. I don't know how crazy this is going to get. Well, I did that a lot. When you get reports from people that would tell you, I think these guys are out pulling dogs off trees, whatever. I spent a lot of nights in the woods. Hmm. Uh, by myself sometimes. Uh, and Steve Vance can tell you a story about that. Mm. I scared Steve one night. He didn't know I was around when his dog treed. When he came in, the hunt was over and he got his dog and I came out and scared Steve to death. He, I didn't even have a light. He didn't know I was around. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, those those are the good days for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at what point can you get? Can we kind of move into from those days of sitting the panels and and working with Jarvis and all uh, to when you made the decision that you wanted to buy the registry and all? How'd that come about? Jarvis and I were going to Bucyrus to the big hunt up in Bucyrus, Ohio, Spring Classic. Right. Um, and he picked me up and I rode with him. And we talked about it on the way up. Jarvis at that time had started the light and the box company. And he was having some issues, financial issues, and asked me if I'd be interested. And I told him I wanted to think about it. Uh, I had a lot going on with trucking, and but ultimately made the decision to do it. And that was in the spring. And by the world hunt of that year in October, we had finalized the deal. Um, and we announced it at the world hunt in 97. Mm-hmm. Right. And I took over in January of 98. Uh, and I and joined. Reed, Reed and I yeah. had it for, Reed and I had it for 13 years, I guess. Yeah. Well, I remember I came aboard in June, uh, June of 98. So it wasn't right. that long after, no, after no. you guys had taken over. I didn't know who Larry Meeks was, quite honestly. I didn't know you. I saw the news, you know, people talking about this new guy at PKC. And then I think, you know, with that meeting you mentioned in the restaurant there in uh, in Michigan. But so, so 13 years altogether. 13 years. You know, when I've talked to, uh, to people about PKC and all, and I, you know, we... <laughs> I'll include myself in this, but I was kind of a newbie, you know, and, and learning my way at that time. Of course, Roy was there, and Roger was there, and Mike Craney was there, and I don't remember who else, but uh, you increased the membership of PKC by 50% the first year. You went from eighty or from 8,000 members to 12,000 members that first year. Well... You mentioned Terry Walker a bit ago. Yeah. And one of the first things we did after purchasing it was I got with Terry. Uh, Reed and I met with him, and we knew we wanted a better publication than what had been there. Uh, right. And, and it was a home run, uh, in my opinion. Uh, Terry did a wonderful job with ProHound, still does. Um but that helped a bunch. The other thing was that, well, even you, you know, you had some following at UKC. When you came on board, some other people came. Um, there were folks changed over. I started traveling to all the hunts. I was early on. I was right. wearing two pickup trucks a year, and we, we, I say we, Jeremy and I had a small airplane, and we bought a two ten and. Yeah, I was I was at a hunt somewhere every weekend. I thought it was very important to meet the people, see what was going on, listen to their problems, and try to fix their problems. You couldn't obviously fix all of them, uh, but we did what we could to try to 
cleanups of fears people may have had where there might have been some favoritism there might have been some cheating here whatever that you would hear you would try to fix um, and i think that went a long way toward it i think traveling and being there with those guys and meeting them went a long way shoot i went to new york state i went to Ta- i went everywhere that's where you met jeremy thomas up there right that's exactly right i stayed at jeremy well i didn't stay at his home but i hunted out of his club yeah is jeremy uh, still be- around do you have any contact with jeremy i i don't i haven't talked to him in a long time i don't know maybe my listeners do but uh Great I'm guy. To say I don't. I'm ashamed to say I don't know. Mm-hmm. But Jeremy did stay at my home. Him and I forget his hunting buddy's name, but they both stayed at my home. They mm-hmm. came to my place in Indiana after I went up there. I see. Yeah, yeah. And we hunted together. But yeah, I even hunted one of Jeremy's dogs one night. They didn't have enough to make a cast, and I told Jeremy, "If you've got a dog around here that you ain't hunting, and we can hang a hot dog and I can hear a bark a time or two off." <laughs> <laughs> I'll take you out and hunt him, but, and we did. Uh, we had fun, uh, but uh, you meet a lot of people that way, and I think that that meeting those people one on one and letting them know what you your desire was to make PKC uh, a good place to hunt and get a fair shot, uh, I think it went a long way. Uh, oh no could doubt, be wrong. You, it could be wrong, but I think so. No, no, you're absolutely right. It, it has an amazing uh, impact. And, and you know, that's kind of funny. It gives me a little bit of deja vu. That's how I met Fred Miller and went to work for UKC. He was a tra- had just bought the registry that year and was traveling around all the breed days to meet the people, you know, and, and uh, that was my first introduction to him. Well, you know, I've told people over the years, uh, Larry, one of the greatest experiences of my coon hunting life was the ten, uh, centered uh, uh, around the tennis center at Ken okay. Lake State Park in uh, in Aurora, Kentucky. Ten days. <laughs> it was something that you dreaded like a toothache, but you wouldn't have missed it for the world. It, it is the way That's I good. looked at it. That's exactly it tiresome days because you're up all night trying to sleep in the morning. Yeah. yeah. But I normally I would stay, if you remember, I stayed in the tennis center most of the night. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was important, too, to be there when people come in. You know, one thing in, in our sport, and people deserve the recognition when they win. And yep. It, it, it's kind of like going to a basketball game, being the only one in the gym. You don't you don't want that for anybody. So I, I think right. that was very important too. Yeah. Well, you're responsible for me losing a lot of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> because, I lost it with you. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. Because not only, you know, I was you know, back in the UKC days, man, we had a master of hounds. And when the entries were all called out and the, the cats were called we headed for the restaurant and forgot about the hunt till the next morning. Not that way with PKC. I learned right away, man, these guys stay up all night, every night. And, and then when I was back home, even if I wasn't at an event, that phone was ringing at 3 o'clock in the morning. Somebody, hey, we got three guys out here huddled around the cell phone. We got a question, you know. 
but it was it was a totally different experience for me, but it was something that I really loved. Uh, you used to crack me up at the tennis center. When we were there, we had all those food vendors out there along the street. Yeah. And you used to say, I got to go out here and solve one of these weenie wars. <laughs> you remember? <laughs> I did. I, I, I remember vendor fighting over spots, and you know you did it kind of first come first serve. And if they had it the previous year, you kind of held it for them unless they told you they didn't want it. But that didn't seem to be good enough for some of them. It it got pretty competitive. But if you you think about how many people were in that county, you know there's four thousand people a day in that county, and you couldn't get a room anywhere. Right. So those vendors were a big deal for them. That ten days was very important. To them. Oh so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there were there were some arguments over. Well, I've I've told so many stories on my podcast about things that happened at the tennis center, you know, and uh, and things, and and that's where I learned how to do panels. You know, we didn't do panels in UKC back in those days, and sitting and watching those panels was extremely interesting to me and to a lot of people. You know. We were kind of, I came out of the, this old uh, uh, custom of, well, you tell your question to, state your question to Master Hounds, and he goes back and, and confers in private or whatever and gives you, you know, you don't get to look at the scorecards. That was another thing, you know. And so all of this was a whole new way of doing things for me, but it all made sense. You know, and, and that was that was a Jarvis creation, the panels, and, and I think it was a good one. A Jarvis oh, had so many good ideas. He here. did, no doubt. He really <laughs> did, and uh, and we laughed, you know, about somebody that says, "Man, Barry Kitty should have been a lawyer." You know, <laughs> listen to him the way he presented his question to those panels, and and all of that, and the crowd would just gather around. Just you know, that was one of the biggest attractions of the hunt. There, there were some, there were some panel artists for sure, <laughs> for sure. And I remember all of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's talk about it. I remember one night you had to go get a guy out of a motel room that apparently had got upset and slashed somebody's tires at the hunt. You remember that? I do. Uh, <laughs> the fellow who ended up being sheriff in that county was a deputy then. And yeah. he and I and Mike Harper uh, went up to the room and knocked on the door. And when he, he told the, the deputy, asked him if he'd come outside when he saw me, he said, oh, I did it. There's, there's no point in it. <laughs> but we worked with him. Uh, we helped yeah. him through. They didn't, yeah. they didn't arrest him. But the funny part of that night is Mike Harper was in the back seat of the sheriff's car. <laughs> and I didn't realize he couldn't open the door. <laughs> And he's sitting in the back seat, pounding on the window one out. <laughs> I had forgot him in the car. Well, you you mentioned our friend Jarvis, and of course, no, you can't talk about PKC without mentioning Jarvis. Uh, what an innovator he was! Really changed the whole sport of coon hunting. There's no question, no question. about no, it. No, no doubt about it. No tell, doubt about it. tell my listeners the story about the night somebody stole Jarvis's pickup. You remember that story? <laughs> I do. And at his service, I was telling some folks about that. 
Uh, oh, okay. I, right I didn't after, get to right make that. Right after we closed on PKC, Jarvis went out and bought a real nice Ford pickup, a diesel. I mean, a real Sunday truck. This is a nice truck. Uh, everything on it, all the bells and whistles. And the Lone Star hunt in January in Texas is getting ready to happen. Jarvis takes his new pickup and picks up his hunting buddy down below Memphis and they hunt those bottoms there on West Memphis side. And Jarvis is going to meet Dale Bolding at a truck stop or someplace. I don't remember where, and they're going to travel to Texas together, but he, uh, he tells James Kirkland, his buddy, I better get going. Uh, I got to meet Dale. So he goes to this, first truck stop pulls in and thought they had diesel fuel but they didn't the next one did and it's in kind of a bad end of town where he pulled in he goes fuels up his truck goes inside goes to the bathroom gets his wet clothes off come outside thought well i better go to the bathroom one more time when he comes out pays the gal goes outside his truck's gone he comes back in and he asked the girl said uh did you see anybody take off in my new truck? And she said, no, sir, I didn't. And she said, he said, well, you better call the police. They've stole my truck and got his dog in it, his clothes, everything's gone. So she calls the police and Jarvis talks to him, gives him a description of the truck and best he can remember the life and plate. And, um, he's standing around her kicking boxes, waiting on the cops to come and, the girl said, sir, didn't you fuel on pump three? And he said, I don't know the pump number. So, well, ain't that your truck right out there? And he'd went out the wrong side of the building. <laughs> and he couldn't wait to tell me that when we got to Texas. <laughs> and I wouldn't have told a soul. But he, uh, he said, I, he told me, he said, I started to get in and just take off. I said, well, Jarvis, you wouldn't have got five miles down the road that I pulled you over. <laughs> and stole it. <laughs> but yeah, they told him. Oh, yeah. That was a great, great story. I, I've never forgotten that one for sure. And I probably told it or repeated it on Jarvis. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, Larry. You and, I laughed, you and I laughed about it a lot. Right. My friend Nubbin Moore, who was a rep, uh, field rep for UKC, we met then. And, and since I've retired, and he has too, he lived around Memphis for a long time. And uh, you mentioned James Kirkland and Jarvis and he and Nubbin's a black and tan guy, and they always had that reunion over there at Sweat's Camp over on the White River. And of course, J.C. Ellis, you know, had property over that way too. Right. But uh, you know, just uh, mentioning those, uh, uh, you know, kind of got sidetracked here. I, I was going to tell you one story, and I've gotten off on two or three more. I'm really bad about chasing rabbits, you know. But uh, yeah, but. Me too. Anyway, those stories, you know, uh, of uh, those hunts back in the day and with those guys. And with, oh, I know exactly where I was going. Nubbin and I go to the White River every year and hunt for about seven or eight days, you know, uh, right after Thanksgiving. And uh, uh, we were out there this year, and uh, this last November. And uh, the phone rang in the truck. I was driving. We were going down to DeWitt to get, I don't know, groceries or whatever. And it was Jarvis. And uh, he was calling to tell Nubbin that he had missed, had seen where Nubbin had called him 
And I think Nubbin had called him maybe to wish him happy birthday or something. Or maybe he'd been in the hospital or whatever. So I got to talk to Jarvis. He put him on speakerphone. We talked for a good while. And it couldn't have been more than a week after that or so that I heard the news, you know, that he had passed. And we had talked about doing a podcast just like you and I are doing today. And, uh, man, I was grateful for the opportunity to know him, you know. And at the tennis center when we started, Joe Brooks started having the church services there. Mm-hmm. And that's something else, you know, the Coon Hunters for Christ was something that you supported very much and always appreciated that. But I'd sit with Jarvis in the church service, you know, and he always called me Brother Steve. I don't know, did he yeah. call you Brother Larry? Or, always, uh, yeah. always did, yeah, <laughs> did. And, and I enjoyed those church services too. Joe was a dandy. I went out Texas hunting with Joe a time or two. Oh, yeah. Well, Joe, I I made the mistake of rooming with Joe one time <laughs> at oh. one of the hunts. It was quite an experience, but Joe, was a, he was a great guy and uh, had a lot of good stories, too, you know. And loved to tell them yeah. all, night long. Yeah. all night long. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Well, we couldn't talk very much about PKC without mentioning Roy Tramble. And I know that, you know, when Roy was, I don't have to tell listeners this, but Roy was very instrumental, I think, in the building of PKC and the success of PKC. And, uh, you know, he was the guy that worked with the hunters. And he could get a guy to judge when judging was the last thing on that guy's mind. (laughs) I remember him sneaking up behind me and putting that hand on your shoulder and starting massaging your shoulders and Steve, get your boots on. I need you tonight, you know, and, and all, but what are your memories of, of, uh, Mr. Roy? I know you made him PKC president, which I know, I know meant an awful lot to him. Well, early on, I met with Roy and Roger Dale before I closed the deal with Jarvis. I knew that I wanted both of them involved or I didn't want any part of it. I knew I could not, at that time, I I couldn't dedicate all the time to PKC that it needed. Even though I tried to put in as much time as I could, I needed both of those. They both played a key role. Without those two guys, I'm not sure I would have ever taken PKC. I I don't think I would have done the deal. And I knew I had to add that. They both needed some help, which we tried to get in yourself and Billy Vincent and James McCormick and some other folks. Right, right. We needed them. Uh, You needed people in the field to try to work with the hunters to make sure they're getting as good a shot as they can get. But Roy was a good problem solver. Um, He would call me three in the morning. I just got off the phone with so-and-so and this or this or whatever happened. What do you think? And we'd work through it. And, and a lot of times you get Roger involved also. Roger got a pretty sharp mind with the rule. And oh yeah. There, there's times early on that the three of us would work through them and try to come up with as fair a solution as you could. 
I would never tell you that even though the clubs had panels, that the panel came back with the correct decision. And right. There's times that, and there's times you just had to get with each of those cast members individually and try to work with them. Like I told you, or maybe I didn't tell you, I was fortunate enough that Reed and I never did have to draw a salary out of PKC. I never, it, it was never about money with me with PKC. I believed in it. I still do. Um, and, and it was another venue for people to hunt that wasn't there at the time. It, mm-hmm. it just needed to, it just needed to be there. Yep. And I could see it melting down a little bit, so that's why we made some changes. But those, both of those guys, and and Roy was the primary contact for a lot of these hunters because he knew mm-hmm. people I didn't know until right. I met. He'd been around forever. Um, but. Roy, bless his heart, was, uh, he was just the guy. I mean, he was the guy to do it. Um, he loved doing it. It was his whole life. Uh, exactly. Yep. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that without PKC, Roy would have lived as long as he did. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. But I miss Roy. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't miss the 3 o'clock in the morning phone call. <laughs> I miss Roy. <laughs> No, not at all. I got one one night from, and we're not going to go into that. But I got one one night about midnight, Roy, that blew my mind, and and it was about it was after I'd gone to AKC, you know. But Roy was, yeah, you know, he was just that way, you know. He, I, I had started working with Roy, uh, back in the UKC days when, uh, you know, was running that program. He uh, would always hold an RQE there at at Berna, Kentucky, at right. his club. So I'd correspond with him, and I remember when uh, Roy uh, and Eula Bell lost their son in the car wreck and and all of that. And, you know, it, it, Roy was just a, a real good guy that I really liked. Didn't always agree with Roy, uh, but I, I really respected the way he could work with the men, with the hunters. And I've heard him many times, you know, the guys in question to be, uh, resolved and somebody wouldn't be happy about it. And Roy just looked at him and said, boys, you just need to go coon hunting, you know, and he just kind of walk them to the door. <laughs> and that, that was Roy, you know, he, he oh, was yeah. good at that. He was. He, yeah. and, and, and I think Roy was as probably respected with anyone that's ever been involved with PKC as much as any, I, I think oh, the yes. respect for Roy still there. It always was, always will be. I think. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and it I won't say he did it right every time, but I think he did his best. Oh, I, absolutely, I would agree with you there. He he did what he thought was best for the organization, I and agree. and he had this thing about he wanted if a dog treated a coon, he wanted that dog to get credit for treating that coon. If there's any way in working this question and everything else, you know, within we want to give those dogs credit, you know. Yeah, we want to score that coon for him if we can, if he deserves it, you know. That's right. And that's that something I, I learned. And you told me something one time that stuck with me, too, back in the early days of PKC, when you said, Steve, the success of this organization depends on good dogs. What did you mean by that, Larry? Well, the Super Stakes program at some point began driving the bus. Um, 
it really changed the way people bred dogs, registered dogs. But if if you had a dog in the Super Stage program that was not a producer, it, it hurt. And, and dogs had to be a producer as well as be a good coonhound themselves. You couldn't rely on the slick handlers winning hunts for you every time. It just it just doesn't work that way. It comes back to the dog and you knowing your dog, knowing what your dog's doing. It's still about dog. Competition coon hunting, in my opinion, should be as close to pleasure hunting as you could get. And it's right. not. And and it's changing dramatically. Like I told you a while ago, I couldn't hunt with all these new gadgets. I wouldn't know how to do it. I, you know me and computers, so <laughs> I, I wouldn't have a clue what a dog's doing looking at a screen. But yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what it's all about. I don't know if you agree yeah. or not, but I, I think that's what it's all about. It, it should yeah. be as close to pleasure hunting as it could be. Yeah. It's got to be fun or you're not going to do it. The odds of somebody making a whole lot of money in coon hunts is, is slim. Uh, I mean, now with the big money hunts, it may be, but years ago it wasn't. When you and I started doing this, it wasn't that way. You know, you win a few bucks if you could kind of help pay for your hobby. Great. That, that's what it was all about. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, you know, kind of what I took away from what you said, and I've never forgot that is. Number one, the guys, if they don't have a good hound, they're not going to come back. <laughs> you know, they're going to get their eyes beat out two or three times, and they'll say, hey, I better take up something else. This ain't fun, you know. Yeah, a good, a good friend of mine told me he was in a slump, and I said, well, when did you win a cast last? He said, been about a year and a half. I said, well, <laughs> you might want to look at a dog. <laughs> That's right. You might want to check on what you're hunting there. Yeah, but I yeah. hadn't really thought about that. But the production end of it, too, you know, applies to that. you got to have dogs that are good dogs or producing more good dogs, you know. Sure. And, and and I think that your your prophecy there, if that's what we can call it, has kind of come to fruition when you look at ProHound today and you see these top uh, lists of, of, of male leader, female leader, pup leader, all those things. They're, they're not all sired by the same dog. The, it's oh, no. all over the board. I mean, there's, there's just, you know, in, in fact, it's kind of rare. To see more than two dogs or three maybe on on a list, a long list, that were sired by the same hound. So that tells me we're, we're producing a lot better dogs nowadays. Now, they may not be the kind of dogs that you and I would have wanted back in the day, you know, but, but they are producing winners for sure. Yeah, and the sport's changed. Uh, mm -hmm. it, like I said, I probably couldn't keep up today, um, but... It's changed. I I still I still miss turning a hound loose. Uh, I don't do it much anymore. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute, I'm sure. But I, I just don't. I I miss it. I'll tell you that for sure. Well, you know, Ella and I have conversations quite regularly about things, and I this is a little bit of true confessions. Um, you know, I think about at 75 years of age, naturally, I cannot physically. I can walk to a dog. I can pleasure hunt and have a good time. But I can't go. I was watching a, a, a cast on TV uh, on my phone last night. 
and these guys had to walk almost a mile to a dog, and then they got it to, under the rules of this uh, pro sport organization. They got all stay together, so they got to walk a mile to this dog, and then they got another one treed back the other way a mile. They got to walk to him, and then another one gets treed, and they got to walk to that dog. Well, hey, I can't do that. I can't do that physically. So this thing of podcasting and what writing that I do for Larry, uh, for Terry Walker is just my way of kind of keeping my hand into something that I've loved all my life. Sure. You know, I, I, I and, think it's important. Yeah. And I'm living in Florida now, the worst place in the world, a coon hunt. But, you know, it's fishing's pretty darn good down here. I don't play golf like you do, but there's a lot of golf courses, there's a lot of things for guys my age to do down here, you know, to enjoy life. But I still, I can't shake this coon hunting thing. I, I, I guess I did. I've done it all my life and I've always wanted to be a part of it and i guess that's why but we have the conversation you know well should i just give this stuff up and she right back she says well this is what this is who you are are you sure you can do that you know and i haven't really come up with the answer to that one yet well and you probably won't (laughs) i think you're i think you're doing what you're good at so and you always have been. I mean, you're a good speaker and a good writer. So uh, you're you're doing what you're good at. Well, I thank you, and I've enjoyed it. This podcasting thing has has provided an avenue, you know, that I never expected or thought about. You know, years ago, I used to think about a coon hunting radio show would be cool. You know, on Sunday night, everybody could tune in and get all the results from around the country and have guests call in and all this stuff, but how would you do that? You know, it take a, a ton of money and syndication and sponsors and all that stuff. Well, then along comes this internet. I jokingly credit it to Al Gore. You know, he said he invented the, uh, the internet. Yeah, I'm <laughs> but, glad that was a joke. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you and I are on the same page on that. But uh, uh, No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> well, let's talk about what you're oh no we got a couple questions we didn't answer yet but uh you know i think you've kind of uh already talked about what it's like to be at the helm of a growing registry like that sure there were there were a lot of day-to-day activities but uh anything particular that you remember about your days at pkc that uh, that stick out to you as high points or or low points or whatever well i I like you said about Aurora and Aurora to me, the tennis center and the hunting grounds around there was the perfect place to have the world hunt uh, at one time. Now the storms took care of that, but I I, I used to dread it. I thought I I got I'm gonna be on the phone with trucks while I'm down here. I can't go you know, mm-hmm. sleep. But pulling into that community every year was just a memory I'll never forget. You see all the pickups, all the dog boxes, all the hunters. You start greeting folks. And I, I do miss those days. Uh, I, I will hmm. say pretty good dinners at Patty's at Grand. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, I'll never forget. You'll probably laugh about this. And we're, our relationship, Larry, and I do want to publicly thank you for what, you know, making that 
uh, part of my life so enjoyable. And you and Rita did, for sure. Uh, and it was at Patty's one night you scribbled out on a little piece of paper because we were talking back and forth about, yeah, I was living in Michigan, and, and that was kind of, you know, that's a good little ways from Evansville, Indiana. And yeah. back and forth and all the traveling that I was doing and all that, you gave me a little scrap of paper. I'll never forget it. It said, pass, free pass to work from anywhere. Do you remember giving me that? No. You did. <laughs> you wrote it on a little old scrap. You tore off a piece of the placemat or something, and you wrote it on there. And I said, I'm going to keep that just in case he makes me <laughs> move to Evansville. Uh, I would have never backed up. But <laughs> I remember you were talking about going back down in Tennessee where your folks were. Yeah. And uh -huh. And that might have had some bearing. That probably was. It too. might. Yeah, it could have been. I there was a cabin down there that my my grandmother Fielder's sister Aunt Lena and Uncle Miles lived in. It was well over a hundred years old. They called that little creek that went up through there Possum Hollow, and that wow. land was sold. But I found out that there was fifty acres available, and that old cabin was still standing on it. And I thought, man, that's where I want to die, right there. <laughs> but it was just too many, too many variables there. It was land was landlocked. I'd have to get an easement in there. The old cabin, the bones were good, but man, it would. I could probably built a new one if I'd just bulldozed that one, you know, for less money. But anyway, those are those are decisions we make in life, but. I do miss that. I, like I said, I, I and there's days that I I do miss PKC and being involved. Um, yeah, I, I don't miss the three o'clock in the morning phone calls. <laughs> right. That. Yeah. You just get up and try to do the best with them. But I'm one of them folks. If you're up, you're up. So I'm not going back to bed. I'm, I'm mm. up. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And that's uh, <laughs> that's. Uh, Something that I think if someone who's never worked in a registry doesn't understand you're in a sound sleep and that phone rings. And now all of a sudden you're supposed to be hearing all these sides to this question and, and trying to, you know, pull from your knowledge of the rules what's the right answer or maybe deciding whether or not there should be an appeal. That's when I got to call you or Roy or somebody and say, Hey, we got this guy. He wants to, he doesn't like the, he doesn't like the third first three. He wants three more. He's willing yeah. to pay a hundred dollars for it. And then, but I know you used to always say, we're not going to grant these appeals on that basis. You know, it's going to have to have uh, solid grounds, you know? Yeah. It was never about the money. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, uh, let's, uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, why, why did you ultimately decide to sell it? We were in a period with the trucking company and a political administration that was about to break us. And like I said, they we at that time, we hold a lot of coal. And you know the feelings of coal today in the world. Oh, uh, yeah. But I knew that the time that I was dedicating to PKC, I was going to have to focus on trucking, sell trucking, do something else. 
and, and I had never bought PKC to make a living, so I had to go with that. And Roger was the prime candidate to sell it to. There were other people that had talked to me about selling it or buying it um, and offered me more money than I took for it. But I sold it for just what I paid for. The money's not important. And I I think it was a good decision. I've not regretted the decision. And that's not totally true. I have, there's days I still wish I had it. Um, yeah, I'm sure. But it, it was time. I, I didn't really, <laughs> and it worked out from the trucking standpoint. At that time, Rita was my partner in trucking and was heavily involved. And she now does her own thing. She has her own businesses. Jeremy's now my partner. He ended up with her ownership and, he and I work together to well or well together, and yeah, it it it, it was just time to do it. Sure, uh, but if I had to do over, maybe not. Who knows? Huh. Uh, but I, it was it was politics and trucking. Well, if it makes you feel any better, and I don't know if it does or not, but I hear it all the time. People miss you. Not that they don't like Roger, but they miss you. They miss the. The good old days. I think they missed the days in the tennis center, and we could talk about that. You know, Salem, the coon hunting, I guess, was the main reason to move to Salem, Illinois, and it is good around there and all. But that atmosphere of the tennis center and everything around Aurora, and those days were uh, were stamped indelibly in the minds of an awful lot of coon hunters, and they look back on those days with fondness, and they look back at the days of visiting with you and with Rita and Grant Black and Danny Hamby and all those guys sitting around behind the desk there. And and if I'm going to paint a little picture of Basil over there with light stuff scattered all over a table and (laughs) (laughs) then how I in the world he ever figured out how to do anything with all that. But man, what a great guy he was. And with JC standing Sitting over there shuffling through scorecards, see which dog he wanted to buy next. And, uh, and I miss I miss JC a bunch. Oh, uh, we all do for sure. He I went I went to see him two days before he died, and he was oh, down to where he could eat a banana a day. Oh my! Oh, and my. you know me, I I try to make light of most things, but I told JC you need to get up. You've been in that bed long enough. It's time us go turn a couple dogs loose. He said, Larry, I'll never get out of this bed again. And he never did. And I, and I hated that. But I'm glad I got to see yeah. him. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. He and I hunted together years and years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he used to talk to me, you know, originally or way back. He had plot dogs. And he told me, he said, I never could get any recognition out of the plot people. So I switched to walkers. Well, but, he was hunting plot dogs on the first time I hunted with him. He was hunting a plot. Yeah. Pretty good old plot hound, too. I bet. I bet. I, a funny thing I remember about J.C., he, talk, he used to love, like to kid me about stuff. And uh, one night there, it was, you know, late at night, cats were all out. We were back there somewhere around the tables. And 
That guy named Steve, and I can't think of his name, he played harmonica. He had a whole case full of harmonicas. I don't know if you ever remember that guy or not, but somebody yeah, else. And you're, you're yeah, you're right about Steve, but I can't come up with the last name. Yeah, and somebody, I think, had a guitar or something. We all got back there jamming and singing, you know, and stuff. And oh, J.C., he came up to me afterwards, and he said, well, I knew the hillbilly had to come out of you sooner or later. (laughs) You picked pretty good, too. You picked one night at my house on my guitar. You picked pretty good. Well, I used to a little bit. The old arthritis, man, it hurts to make an E chord anymore, man. It's hard, hard, but uh, yeah, those were the days, Larry, such great days. Well, now, I see on Facebook now, I see pictures of Larry Meeks as a bunch of kids around. What, What about the... How many kids you got and how many grandkids you got now? Well, between Reed and I, we have seven kids, nine grandkids, and two great-grandkids. Wow. That's quite a tribe. And two of the grandkids stayed all night with us last night. They live close. Jesse's too, our youngest daughter's too. And they love the cows I got out back. And they like to get on the tractors. They're just my buddies. Oh, I bet. Well, you know, Jess was just a little thing. Uh, And uh, when I was at PKC and uh, uh, Valerie, she was big sister. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she wasn't very old either. No. uh, Great kids. And so now they do they both have children of their own? No, Valerie has never been married. Um, Okay. She has dogs. Those are her kids. I got uh, you. Yeah. Valerie, Rita, and I in, on, in June will be married 33 years. So Valerie's 34 or 32. I'm sorry, 32. <laughs> yeah. I went the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, but she was 32 in a, uh, April. I see. Yeah, April. She well, was 32. Good. Does she live near, nearby? She does. She's oh, got a home good. in Evansville and she stays at, I own, we own property up in French Lick. Um, Okay. But I've got a deer camp up there, and she likes to stay at deer camp. I got a trailer and a cabin up there, and she likes to stay up there. That's up around Larry uh, Bird Country, isn't it? Yeah. He yeah. <laughs> and well, I used to play a lot of golf together. Yeah, I know you have quite quite a extensive uh, contact list of people there, and uh, I liked working for PK. So you you had good perks, man. I we went to the to the uh, Indianapolis race one time on you. You provided some tickets for that. that was... Still have access to them if you need them. <laughs> well, that was the only time I'd been. I'd been to some NASCAR races, but that one. Well, now you and, and Rita moved out to a farm, didn't you? Or yeah. somewhat? Yeah. We've got uh, 55 acres in Warwick County, mm-hmm. uh, pretty close to Newburgh, Indiana. Yeah. Yeah, and I've, and I've got uh, two horses, two donkeys, and about thirty-three <laughs> head of cattle. Um, I got you. I Je- was in the hayfield yesterday, and the rain drove us out. Yeah. Well, to, well, well how do you like that farmer role? Is that that kind of suit you? It's peaceful. It's quiet. Uh, yeah. it, it's good. Uh, I like it. Uh, the cows, kind of my buddies. Uh, 
And then, oddly enough, we got 55 acres also up in Orange County, up by French Lick, like I was telling you. So I don't yeah. know how we ended up with 55 and 55, but yeah. that's what, how it worked out. What is it about cows? You know, when I was a kid, I used to go to my uncle's farm. Well, actually, it's his, his father-in-law's farm, but they lived there. They had a, they were in the coal business in Hayside, Virginia, but they had to, Mr. Castle had this big farm. And I'd go down in the summer and stay with my aunt and uncle, my cousin. And I absolutely loved being out around every evening. Mr. Uh, uh, Castle would say, uh, come on with me, Steve, after supper, and say, let's go check on the cows. And we'd get in the pickup, and we'd drive around all over. Had a pretty big farm. Had beef cattle and stuff on one side of the road, and had a dairy farm on the other side. Always loved cows. Always said, I wish I'd had property. <laughs> you know, what is it about that? I don't know. It's There's something peaceful about watching cattle graze. I can't yeah. tell you what it is, but there's just something peaceful about doing it. Yeah. Getting a bottle of water and just going back and watching them graze or just jumping on a gator and going back and, and watching them graze. Yeah. There's just something peaceful about it. I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I agree. I hunt on a, on some ranches down here in Florida in the wintertime. And there's still quite a few active cattle ranches down here. And oh, yeah. I, anytime I get around them, you know, I, I get that old feeling again. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that didn't have much to do with coon hunting right there, but that's just some of the things that make life good, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we get older, we do different things. Yeah, well, that's for sure. Well, Larry, we've been at this here just a few seconds, less than an hour and a half, and that's what I told you we'd probably do. Have we missed anything that we that you want to talk about or mention as, before we uh, shut this thing down? No, I, I would only hope that maybe some of the younger folks that hear this thing would pick up on some of our old ways that, got us where we are and not for at least for not forget about them but um you know when we started it was just you know carbide light yeah shooting them out with a shotgun (laughs) that's exactly right it's just a different world today Uh, but the old way is is still what got us here Uh, if people don't forget where they come from i think it's very important i just yeah, I think that old saying, dance with the one that brung you, you know, kind of applies. There you uh, go. If we look at this sport, it wouldn't be, in, you know, the young people have a tendency nowadays to rely on their electronics. And I don't know where the disrespect for older people and the, or maybe maybe not overtly disrespecting older people, but they it's an underlying thing, you know, that. That old guy didn't know what he's talking about. You know, we got all the answers. Well, that, we may not have all the answers, but we got a lot of answers. And uh, I just well, wish they, they would listen they, a little more. Yeah, they would know things to me that I wouldn't know today. Uh, oh, so yeah. They're, they are a lot more intelligent than, than yep. I was. Yep, uh, for sure. They, they've got it. But it, it still comes back to treating people like you want to be treated and winning isn't the most important thing. It's just not uh, go out and compete as hard as you can and do the best you can and call your dog for what he does. Just 
Well, we had a guy on just last week on this podcast, uh, J.R. Gray, who won the UKC Tournament Champions. That's their $50,000 hunt. And we talked about that a little bit. And J.R. was quick to say, you know, when he won the UKC World Hunt, there was no cash prize. Uh, the next year, they started offering $10,000 to the World Hunt winner. And someone said to him, man, wouldn't it, doesn't that bug you? that you didn't win any money? He said, no, it's, it wasn't about the money for me. You know, it was about the accomplishment. And uh, if we could instill that in the younger hunters, I think we'd, it'd, be, uh, it'd be to their credit. And uh, But uh, we're going to keep keep trying. You, you, you said that a lot better than I could. That's exactly right. He yeah. said it better than I could. That's great. Larry, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, not only, you know, did we work together, as you say, we were team members. Uh, I know whose name was on that check, and I appreciate it every couple weeks or month or whatever it was. And you, uh, you know, supported my family for, for about seven years altogether, and I'll eternally be grateful for that. But it was the friendship those nights out there on stakeouts and, and in the tennis center behind the desk and on the phone and all that that I remember most. And, and I appreciate Facebook because I do get to keep up with you a little bit. So that it, I do want to thank you really from down deep for coming on the podcast today and sharing uh, some some great memories with me and, uh, and our listeners. It's been a real pleasure for me, and I've enjoyed it, and I feel privileged to be able to do so. Well, anytime, you're welcome anytime. Uh, I'll take you out and show you some old cows, and maybe we'll even turn the dog loose or something. Well, I'll, I'll borrow a dog. John used to let me borrow a dog. Oh, does John still have dogs? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No uh, doubt he does. That's another story for another day. Well, listen, yes, pro- promise yes, me you'll come back on, and we'll talk. We'll tell some more stories because I know the listeners are going to be wanting to hear them. So. I would feel honored. Right. I appreciate it. All right. Well, give my best to Rita and to the family and to Jeremy, my my former pilot. He made me feel special. Uh, I'll do it. I'll and, do it for and, sure. Okay, Larry. Thank you so much. And as I always say at the close of every podcast, if you're looking for me, I'll tell you where I'll be. I'm gone to the dogs. Well, it's time on the podcast to check in with my friend Fred Moran over in the hills of Pennsylvania. Fred, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Uh, you're always on the line, man. Yeah, I got clothes on the line, that's why. But, <laughs> well, how so, have you been since we talked? Been hunting a lot. Been going a good, good bit. We've had a lot of rain over here. I missed two nights so on kind of the rain. Just too miserable to go out and fight it. Me and Patty went out uh, all about, I'm say, two weeks ago. We run a track in the state game lands. This is 5,000 acres open to the public to hunt and so forth. Too many people hunted, and they seem to think season never closes on coon, and they shoot too many. There ain't a coon in there there should be. You'll still tree a coon, but not like like you want to but the main reason they're going it's safe there's everything in there as far as game 
Uh, Fisher, what a lot of states don't have. We've got black bear there and so forth. Not a, not a lot, but there are some there. Well, we was there on a Friday, and we run a track. And I mean, I thought it was a bobcat. I had both of my dogs. She had one dog, a young blue dog she got. And they run that thing pretty darn good. They crossed the only road in that place. I grabbed my one red dog. Uh, there ain't no traffic to speak of. I probably could have left him go. But I had a chance to grab him, and I grabbed the young dog, and I threw him in the dog box. Patty's blue dog and my red dog kept on going. And uh, anyhow, they finally treed up on the hill. And there's only one house in that whole place, and they don't come out. They don't bother nobody. But we treated not far from their house. We go back in there. I mean, they're treeing like they're looking at it. I figure they got a bug yet for sure. We get up there. We search that tree. I wish I could tell you I seen 10 coon there. I couldn't find nothing, not even a possum. We didn't see a thing. I looked at all the trees around it. And if it's there, I'll nine times out of ten find it. I don't, mm-hmm. I'll brag on myself on that. Not too many beat me find them. But uh, anyhow, couldn't find nothing. So we just chalked it up as an experience and talked about it on the way home. And the next night she called me. I, she said, are you going again? I said, yep. And I'm going right back where we were last night. I'm going to tree that track, and there's going to be game in it. So uh, she says, all right, what time do you want me to ask? Come about 8.30. She came down. We went back here, turned loose in the same place. And believe it or not, they struck not too much further than what they did the night before. And I'm hoping for the, we have the same three dogs. I'm hoping they do something better than what they did the night before. Now, my dogs mess up just like everybody else. They're not any better than Joe Smith's down the road, but I figure they're going to treat this. Well, they run it. Uh, same uh, same thing again. I'm, uh, the young dog, I grabbed him on the road again. I thought, man, it's going to be a, a, a similar to last night. Well, we went up there, and for some reason or other, Patty's dog quit. I don't know why. she never done before, but she quit and come back to us. So uh, anyhow, my buster dog, which is the oldest dog in the crowd, he's five, he went over the hill, and he treed 350 yards away. Well, our hills ain't like these little knolls in Ohio and so forth. These are hills. You think you're in West Virginia. And uh, that's the reason I don't hunt much in West Virginia. Put your Although, hand on your heart when you say yeah, that. Yeah, I did. I did. And I have a good friend down there, Johnny Kuntz. He took me to one of his places where they have a bear camp and that. And they got feeders all over West Virginia. We did tree some coon there, but we was able to drive to the trees and everything i liked his hunting he he had some good hunting but he he's the one who put all them coons in there or never bothered killing any uh but anyhow getting back to my story 
the Buster Dog's three and done. He's no show off, just a steady tree dog. And I w- uh, the woods were beautiful, was nice and open, big trees, and uh, uh, but uh, it was real steep. What do we run across but a bear trap that the game commission set in there? It was knocked off, uh, so nothing could go in it, but it's full of donuts, and that's our favorite food that they use, uh, the game wardens get. They get them for nothing, and they put them in their bear traps. Well, I know the game warden real good for that uh, area. In fact, he used to rent off of me. But uh, I thought, why did he knock that door off on the trap? Why didn't he leave it set? I figure he may have caught a coon in there and just uh, let it go and then shut the door so nothing gets in there. Well, his brother's a game warden also. And uh, the one that set the trap, uh, I later called, I, I called him, but never got an answer. Didn't expect to. I called his brother and I said, Hey, how come Gumby, uh, has a trap set on a game land and it's knocked off and the door is locked and you can't, uh, reset the door. He says, well, it's Mother's Day. Probably he didn't want to have to go out there on Mother's Day and check the trap. I says, hey, you're like a trooper. You're on duty 24-7. He just laughed. He says, I'll see you. So I told him where we'd treat the bear. Well, anyhow, Patty says, I'm going down there. I said, you know I could call that dog back and save a trip. I just don't feel like climbing this hill. He, She says, well, I'm going down there and see what he got. I says, go ahead. I walked within a hundred yards of the trap and I stayed up on the hill and she kept going. She shined in one spot uh, all the time where she shined everywhere at first, but then one spot and usually that means the person saw the coon or something. Finally, she comes up. She says, all I could tell you, it's extra big and it's black and the eyes are far apart. So we, I'm figuring that's what you got, a bear. Now, I didn't see it to verify it, but uh, like I say, that's what she said. We went from there, so I honestly didn't see it, but she's talking, she saw it. We went from that game lance to another place. It's more populated than that, but believe it or not, they by a big truck stop, and they killed a bear the year before with a rifle bear season, it was legal to kill bear. Well, we turned loose, and I felt sure we hit a coon there. And uh, there's a swamp in there, and all of a sudden, it run all over there. There's a lot of woods here, though, but it's populated. And they run it all through there, back down, back up. Well, they run it across a little road that don't go nowhere. And I'm looking on the ground on the cement, and there's bear tracks right with the dog tracks. We got on two bear. Most don't get one bear in a year. We got on two in one night. Well, there's a creek going up through a 500-acre field, and there's trees all along that creek. I figure as hot as they is running, they're surely going to tree that. We 
uh, I said, we better get in a truck and drive up the end of the field so they don't get on the main road. I was ready to do that, and they made a U-turn, come back straight toward us. I separated from her. I wanted to see that bear crossing the road. I figured I'll, I'll catch him with the light. But undoubtedly, he had a better lead on the dogs than I thought because he already got across the road. And the dogs came the same way, went straight down over. It's rough. Uh, it's all cliff and rocks and everything. Uh, but they ended up in a big, like, cave down there. Oh, yeah. Well, Patty, she's all game. She crawled down there and got the dogs out of the cave. And... uh like I say, we know what that was. I told, I told a couple people by the bear hunt. I said, you sit there the first day of season. Whenever it comes in, you should get shooting if you got the patience to wait all day. Yeah. But I'm no bear hunter. I kill bear. I, I also, being your plot man, you might remember this guy, Joe Pauley from Michigan. Oh yeah. I know him well. Joe has gone through some real challenges with his health uh, in the last uh, uh, few months, the latter uh, part of the year, but he is kind of, uh, he's very resilient. He bounces back, and uh, I did get to see Joe down at the American Plot Association breed days in Greenville, Tennessee back in, uh, well, I guess that was probably in March. So, yeah, yeah, I know Joe Joe, very well. Joe Polly, I met him by accident, and uh, anyhow, he invited me to Upper Peninsula bear hunting. It was in September. Uh, I'm saying about 19, oh, I'm guessing in the 50s. I know that the latter part of the 50s, because we went from there to Kenton. And uh, we got well, five bears. Joe Polly that I know. Now you might have met uh, met his dad, Ernest Polly. Um, Maybe it was Ernest. Yeah, it, uh, it wasn't Joe. Joe. Is a younger man yeah. than I am. Uh, I'll tell you what. Right. This guy was tough. Listen to this. We're hunting, and it's it got cold up there. He's hunting in them swamps in spade shoes. I'll be darned if I'd ever be doing that. I mean, space shoes. And then he slept in now, the back of the of truck with no these? covers or nothing, and there was frost on his body the next morning. <laughs> what kind of I shoes? I said, they make him plot guys tough. I said, us red bone guys need a motel and a bed. So <laughs> well, but hey, we, hey, we had a good time. We we got five bear up there, the, the bunch did. I didn't get one. My boy I took with me got one. In fact, he got the first one. And uh, we had a good time. It was something different. And uh, I treed three that year here in Pennsylvania, about 100 miles north, uh, while coon hunting, though, with my own dogs. And uh, I found out uh, that they'll, you put them in there, they'll go if a, a couple start and they caught right on, did okay. Oh, and yeah. Well, there's a lot of guys that hunt uh, bear with red bones. What kind of shoes was he wearing? Spade shoes. They, they don't even make them anymore. <laughs> it looks like a spade shovel. 
And that's what kind of shoes he was wearing. They're dress shoes. They oh, were okay. dress Well, I gathered and, maybe that that's what you were talking about, but I didn't have a clue because I've never, yeah, I never heard uh, of them. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I, my uncle was with me. He wasn't much of a hunter, but he went along for the trip. He said, that guy's tough. <laughs> he certainly was. Well, you remember the woodpecker dog, the red dog? Pardon me? You remember the red bone uh, named Woodpecker? Yeah. Well, you did you know the guy down there in Indiana that hunted him before he's, that he was sold to Milton Scott? Yeah, yeah, he's dead now. I'll think his name. He was in my cast in the uh, ACHA World Hunt. Big guy. Uh, I know his name. I'm going to see I, if you I can get I can't think it. his name. And... Yeah, we got to talking, and he picked up a kid hitchhiking that used to work for me years ago. <laughs> and he was telling me a story. When he told me uh, about this guy being in Las Vegas, when he had a gambling problem. And when I'd pay him, if he blew all his money, instead of coming back to work and working to make money, he'd go to Las Vegas with nothing in his pocket maker a living somehow wow. and he'd come back when he felt like it uh i'm trying to think that well, guy i can name. tell you his name he was running a dog for a guy from florida he was in my cast i'd know the dog's name even if i heard it well are uh, you having trouble hearing me fred no no, no okay well the guy's name was ted ramey that's it and the thing about that reminded me of Ted was you talking about that guy uh, hunting in dress shoes. Ted Ramey always hunted in tennis shoes. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I remember that. <laughs> uh, he, uh, Russell Beller used to do it all the time. I think they and they were good buddies. I think that's what one picked it up off of the yeah, other one. Could be, yeah, yeah. Big Ted. He was originally from Kentucky, I believe. Uh, he used to come in the UKC office and we'd visit every once in a while, but, uh, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, he had, he's another one of those hunters that's passed on, but he was the guy responsible, I guess, for really putting that woodpecker dog on the map. Right. And, uh, my buddy owned woodpecker, Claude Miller. He bought that yeah, dog, right. Richard. And, uh, anyhow, um, I showed Claude a real good female. I, I often thought I should never got rid of her. She was a good dog. And I asked him one time, I said, how'd you ever get hooked up with Ted Ramey? I said, I wouldn't even think you knew somebody. He said, he got in touch with me. He hunted with a dog one night. I only hunted with Woodpecker two nights. And uh, Claude would tell you the same thing. Uh, the dog had a bad night both nights, far as I was concerned. Didn't right. show worth the dog. I said to Ted, I said, Ted, how'd you do so good with that dog? He didn't show me nothing when I went on. But this was dogs. He said, Fred, the night I brought him home, I took him hunting at 10 o'clock at night and treed seven coon with him. He says, he's clicked for me right off the bat. But that's typical dog story. Hey, it might work for you, but mm -hmm. don't work for me. It might be a heck of a dog for you, but nothing for me. But I'm sure he was good, but Claude had trouble. You know, the dog just 
never had a, a real coon dog moment. And it's, right. it's how you work them and who you are and everything else. But Ted got a lot out of them as far as it clicking for him. Well, you mentioned Claude Miller, and is, that was the Miller Most brothers. Most honest guy you'll ever meet, a real gentleman. Yeah, and didn't he have a school for training uh, coonhounds or something, he and his brother or something? What? What's that? Didn't he have what? Uh, uh, a training school for coonhounds or something. No, Did they you're, thinking, you're thinking of Miller Brothers from Arkansas. Yeah, okay. They used okay. to do a lot of training for Birdoni. Okay, yeah. So they weren't redbone men then? No, no, they okay. They kept the English dog same as Bert. Bert and them were very good friends. Well, and uh, they worked at that great place and still in business out there in Arkansas. I can't. It's Welch's Grapes. That's I where they worked at. Well, that brings back memories to me because I used to hunt in the vineyards there in Michigan. Uh, and the farmers there sold their grapes to uh, Welch's grape uh, grape juice factory uh, there in the little right. town of Lawton, Michigan. So, oh, Fred, it's been a great visit. I'm glad to hear that you're still hunting and kicking and feeling good. And uh, you got to watch out for those big black bears, though. Those things. Uh, oh, hey, I enjoy <laughs> seeing them. Uh, uh, we're starting to get them where we never had them before. Yeah. A good friend of mine, he, he's got the most beautiful house I've ever seen uh, for a hunter and that out in the woods. He's surrounded by 5,000 acres of water. Wow. It's Westmoreland County's water supply. Now, you're not allowed to hunt or fish here, and every time your line hits water, you got to fish. And, <laughs> and you would know that, Fred how? Lubert, he's looking <laughs> over his shoulder all the time. But my buddy owns about 350 acres adjoining that. And he uh, said, Fred, you ought to see the bear up here anymore. They moved yeah. in. I don't know where they come from. But every night my dogs are treeing bear instead of coon. Yeah, and the black he, bear has really, po the population has really exploded. And and on that subject, you guys in Pennsylvania can't hunt them with dogs. No, though, no. Uh, I tell you what, if we did, if they opened it up for dogs, I guarantee the first day of season, there'd be 10,000 guys with West Virginia plates here. <laughs> That's a fact. Because they go for it, and it oh, was yeah. legal down there where yeah, they did. Absolutely. And absolutely. Uh, that's a big thing for them. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have another discussion about the bear hunting. Uh, Fred, thanks okay. so much for uh, coming you. on. Take care. And Talking to our audience again. We always enjoy visiting with you. Wish you the best. Have a good hunt tonight. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you. Okay. That's the great Fred Moran, the red bone man. Uh, he's gone uh, hunting, I'm sure. Uh, I uh, really enjoy the feedback that we get from these podcasts. So feel free to get on Facebook uh, and uh leave uh, i have the uh gone to the dogs podcast group page uh you can join the group we'll welcome you in uh you can uh post on my personal page steven s-t-e-p-h-e-n uh f fielder uh you can post there you can post in the coon hunting conversations group uh that's a group that i started and worked my 
work with my friend Alan Bridges on. And I will just take just a moment before we close to remind you that I do have copies, first edition copies, I'll sign it for you, of the book, Gone to the Dogs, A Coon Hunter's Journey, 200 pages, 23 chapters, all about coon hunting and related subjects. If you'd like to have a copy of that, you can go to stevefielderbooks.com. Until next time, if somebody asks you where's Steve Fielder, just tell them he's gone to the dogs.